Welcome to another episode of the Hermit's Land podcast here. I want to take a moment up front to uh, say thank you to everybody who listens to this podcast. I've been hearing a lot of lovely feedback, which just does my little heart good. And I also have been uh, hearing a lot of great stuff from people who are enjoying the Patreon. So this episode, as with all of the episodes this year and going forward, comes with bonus material. In this particular case, it is a short conversation on listening to birds and how to hear them properly between Enrique and I, followed by a song that uh, Enrique recorded in a special place. So that's on the Patreon only. If you pledge $5 an episode, you can get access to that. I also want to take this moment to announce that uh, starting in April, there's going to be a new group for folks who are pledging to support the podcast at the $10 level. Uh, this will be a space where you will get uh, earlier access and all that regular stuff that you get for being a bonus at the lower levels, but you will also get to participate in a group with other folks who listen to the podcast, myself, uh, and certainly some of the guests to ask questions, to uh, have deeper conversations collectively about it, as well as I will be sharing supplementary materials that I come across that seem particularly relevant to some of the episodes at hand. So uh, check that out. Feel free to change your pledge at any time. However, the group itself will not start until the beginning of April. Uh, thanks for listening as always. Welcome to another episode of the Hermit Site Podcast. I am here today with Enrique Enriquez. Um, how do you introduce Enrique? I think that we could say that they maybe are a poet, that they are maybe a uh, magician. Perhaps it's easiest to say that they are an emissary for the uh, the nation of birds, uh, you know. But uh, you know, they're a person who does a lot of things. Uh, they've been on before a couple of times. So if you enjoy this, definitely dig out the previous episodes. Uh, I think that uh, they're well worth listening to. So, but how are you introducing yourself these days, Enrique? I don't know, Andrew. It's very, it's always very good to see you. And I always find problematic to record these things with you because I, I am, or I feel so at ease with you, but I always worry that nothing will come out of it. You know, uh-huh. it's like just two friends hanging out. Yeah. But no, I, I think know, that's, other- that that could actually be like the subtitle for the Hermit's the Hermit's Land podcast. Just a couple friends hanging out and talking about stuff. I think that's yeah. every episode, you know. Yes, mm-hmm. which is beautiful. No, I don't know. I I went to see a friend of mine the other day. She was visiting New York, and I had to meet with her. The only chance I had to meet with her was at this art gallery, like an opening that she was somehow related to. And I arrived there, she grabbed me by the arm, and she walked me around the room, introducing me to every single person mm-hmm. as a magician. Mm. And at first I flinched, and then I flinched a little bit more. And then I thought, well, she's a philosopher, she's smart. She probably knows what she's doing. Mm. You know, may- maybe she has reason to to call me a magician, but I don't know. 
Maybe we should, uh, we'll, we'll contact her and ask her what that reason was. We can share that somewhere afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it's best not to know, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think names should be given, you know? Mm. Yeah. Even, even our, yeah, you know, we are given a name when we are born and then maybe we are given other names by other realities, people, mm -hmm. institutions. Yeah. organizations and and it's the same thing you know it's better for the name to be something that is given to you and maybe you get to live up to it you know mm. i i think i think that that resonates for me you know i um i always felt like in this era of social media and online presence that i should come up with some pithy witty catchy thing to refer to myself as other than you know what do you do well i read tarot cards you know it, it there's yeah. so many people who have these great slogans and catchphrases and so on um but i've never come up with one and i you know i've given up after 17 years i think it, it's it's plenty of time to give up on that process but i remember yes. being in i remember being in china uh a couple of years ago where i was doing some teaching and doing readings with my friend carrie and we um, was talking to this woman who, like, she was talking to me about her guru, right? And yeah, and she was like, well, how long have you been reading cards for? And I was like, well, I've been reading cards for about 30 years and, you know, professionally for whatever it was at that time and so on. And she's like, oh, so you're, so you're like a grandmaster then. And I was like, and, and immediately my response was, I'm like, I don't know, maybe you should ask Carrie if that's true or not. <laughs> because I just wouldn't, I didn't want it. You know, like you say, I flinched, right? But I've thought of it that moment a lot since then. And I think that that acknowledgement from the community or from people of it or the, the bestowing of that name from people is actually where maybe the real power is. You know, there are lots of people who, you know, post you know they're they they sign off with supreme grandmaster of tarot or you know whatever so on and so on and and maybe it's true but i think when it comes from the outside it's it approximates truth more closely i completely agree and and i mean i i was moved my, by my friend gesture because i felt okay maybe i have done something to deserve to be called a magician Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that, as long as it's not me who is the one saying that's what I am. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I don't worry about, I don't know, names or labels. I think, uh, I mean, that's the problem with some words that really turn reality opaque in that way in which then nothing else can be seen mm -hmm. through that name. People just give things a name to kind of put a stop to having to think about them. You know? Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm an Aquarius. I'm a Reiki master. I'm a whatever. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I, uh, I want to share with you a bird story. Okay. So seeing as, seeing as birds is a thing we, we definitely share a common interest in. So, uh, and maybe I've told this on the podcast before now, I can't remember or not, 
But last, last October, I, I ended a, a long relationship. And um, sort of a day or two after I ended it, I found a bird nest on the ground with three robin eggs in it that were all broken. And, oh. and so I looked at it and I was like, yep, that's the end of something. And I, I saved it. You know, I, I brought it in and I, I made sure it was dry and I've, it's around here somewhere. I kept it. And, you know, I felt this sort of very clear acknowledgement from, from that other side about this situation. Right. And then um, maybe two months later, I was walking through uh, this laneway that I walked through to get to my studio most of the time. And I saw a pigeon with what looked like a branch stuck over its head. And I was like, huh, how am I going to, how am I going to convince this pigeon to let me free it from, from this thing that it's got. And when I got a bit closer, I realized that um, it was in fact not trapped, um, but it was, sorry, I'm going to pause this, edit this out afterwards. Um, restarting now I saw that it was in fact not trapped but it was holding the branch in its mouth and it was a pretty big branch so it looked like part of it wrapped around its head and so on and as I got closer it, uh, it flew up and it circled and instead of flying away or instead of flying to one of the many perches on the building that the pigeons like in that area, it circled above me a couple of times. And as it did so, it dropped the branch and it fell right into my hands. I didn't have to reach out for it or anything. It literally, it fell into my hands because I thought it was going to hit me in the face. Um, and so I, I saved that and I, I, as this sort of like, oh, now here's the beginning of that new nest, right? Here's the beginning of that new thing. So there's my there's my bird story for you. No, that's fantastic. Thank you for telling me. No, you, I never heard that before. So, and it's just perfect. I, I mean, the the weird condition of signs is that they are at the same time part of the landscape and an exception to the landscape. Mm-hmm. I mean. They are there all the time, right? But then there is a moment when that particular image, which would have been irrelevant otherwise, gets active for you, mm-hmm. right? And and then there is something beautiful about the way that they give consistency to themselves. Mm-hmm. Because the second time, so to speak, the pigeon with the branch on his beak is even more relevant because you found the nest two months prior mm-hmm. and there's a symmetry to it right yes yes and and i i think that the most uh, important thing i learned from tarot cards is that the space in between the cards is made out of time on the table we don't see that because it happens really fast mm. and in fact all oracles are tools for us to accelerate time but that space that time is, is I mean the more we look at cards 
the 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 wider it becomes. So we can inhabit that space in between the images. And then we are realize, oh, but that space is live and the images are happening all the time. So mm -hmm. there is a um, car that is the nest with the tree broken edge. And then there is a car that there is the pigeon with the branch on his stick. And you are just in the space in between. The key, I think, is to know how to wait. And I, I'm, I'm more and more convinced that waiting, which is, of course, a very active stance of paying attention, is the greatest oracle. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the, 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 the oracular state, is the state of waiting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that capacity to be present and open but not fixated is uh yes. is really important right you know uh to magic to to divination to you know listening to birds to all of the things right yeah mm -hmm. i mean I, I i spend the weekend talking to some crows uh in massachusetts and uh, i think that one very important thing for me is that you know, I mean, one day I, I was just there having a conversation with a with a crow across the street on the main street of this little town, and and somebody wanted to know what the crow was saying. And then some other day, I I, I saw all these crows, and I start calling on them, and I they came and they drew a circle above my head. They were talking to me, but mm -hmm. basically drawing this beautiful circle on top of me. And what I find, or what I what I encounter all the time, is that people then want to, for me to provide some sort of ornithological conclusion. I talk to the birds because somehow now I'm going to learn something about crows, mm -hmm. and I have no ornithological interest. To me, those events like the nest you found or the bird with the branch on its beak, those are emblems. For the language of the birds, which is precisely this ability to merge with time by paying attention to the rhythm of the world. Mm -hmm. so of course, I'm just putting these images in the world, and somehow they add up. Because yes, signs somehow they punctuate reality. So the text goes on. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe in two months you will find I don't know what with some sort of branch-related image sure. that will, you know, situate you in that moment. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that um, people, people are often, and I at times have often, um, been in a hurry to arrive at, you know, meaning or, you know, definition or so on, right? And I think that that's one of the, if one of the powers of, of reading tarot cards is the space, one of the dangers is the definition, right? Because yes. to me, the definition of things is a, is a thing that comes in time, right? You know, and I think that, you know, especially at some point in my, my sort of ceremonial magic career, I just sort of started to treat meetings, uh, messages, things that came. I'm like, well, we'll see. What, we'll see what that means in time. You know, maybe maybe in a few years I'll know what that means. Maybe in a few years it'll feel true still. 
we'll see, right? And that sort of openness yeah. to it, it allows for allows for change, which might actually be the most important part of the process, as opposed to definition, which is comforting or has the appearance of comfort, but doesn't really necessarily uh, always or maybe even often benefit us in a in a bigger picture sense. Yeah, in, in fact, my, my suspicion at the moment is that if we have a question and we need the answer right away, that means that's the wrong question. Mm. I think that there is a, a tension in, 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 in our culture between motivation and acceptance. We, we want our uh, spiritual material so to speak, the things we consume within the frame of the spiritual to provide motivation so we feel that we can tackle life or go on and do things, you know, and, and accomplish something. And mm -hmm. that which people call inspiration. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's very important to focus on acceptance. Mm. It is a, not only fundamentally the acceptance of the dignity of that thing that is before all, good or bad, but also the acceptance of a bigger picture of a wider pattern mm. that is taking place. And one way of naming that will be change that you are doing is, uh, yeah, time, right? And, and understanding that everything is simply happening. Mm -hmm. And of course, for me personally, and I'm not suggesting people should do that, I, I will also say everything is happening and I don't matter, mm. which gives me a lot of freedom. It's not about me. Mm. I understand that for people, well, a lot of them need to be the center of the circle. Mm. But in any case, yes, you become a witness of reality. and somehow you realize that then you are reality too. Mm -hmm. And then we also become part of the landscape and an exception to the landscape now and then. Mm -hmm. Well, certainly, certainly we can become an oracle to other people, right? As a, as a yes. presence in the landscape and an exception to it. So, but I'm very curious about this idea as it relates to the more, I, I completely relate to it from a, a spiritual perspective, from a, a practice perspective, even from my perspective as being a person who does readings for other people. To me, all of those things, I, I completely relate to it. Yes. I'm curi curious how it relates, how you relate that back to the more uh, mundane, but also miraculous things, like you're a parent, right? How does that idea trickle back into parenthood for you or into your relationship or into your, you know, those, those sort of day-to-day -day domestic parts of your life? Well, I, I always tell people that the fact that I can speak like a bird doesn't mean that I don't have to do laundry, you know? And of course, Fair. in New York, yeah, in New York, that basically means that you have to grab this bag of dirty clothes and, and, and go out. You know, in most places in New York, you don't have uh, uh, this uh, 
laundry machines in your apartment. So you have to actually go one, two blocks. It doesn't matter if it's winter, snowing, to these mm-hmm. places where in the movies, there is always fantastic sex happening at night, but I go sure. in the morning, uh-huh. so it's really boring. And so a daily pursuit of some sort of, uh, let's call it the sublime, you know, to be mm. with your head in the clouds, thinking about birds and words and signs and oracles. At some point, I think that that gives dignity to things like doing laundry. Mm. And I remember I, I used to hate that particular thing, going out to do laundry. It's just extraordinarily boring. And then I realized, well, this is somehow the counterweight, right? I mean, I need this thing. I need the mm. kids. I need the, the fact that they are hungry or or bored because otherwise I would just disappear, right? Mm. So you need that. You need that reality to keep you in tension. I mean, that, that verticality we are all aspiring at is only rich if you have an above and a below. Mm. So... Yeah, I appreciate those things now. I, 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 you know, I go to do my laundry in, in a suit because I feel that there is a, a extraordinary dignity in doing that too. Mm-hmm. And, and the same with everything. I, I think it's, it's, um, it's very hard to accept the, the, the dignity of the things we don't like mm-hmm. because I, I suspect that at the end we are all guided by our aesthetic preferences. I mean, we have an idea of what's beautiful and then we pursue that and everything else is, is wrong sure. for us, right? Mm-hmm. And But I do feel that the, the the mundane has that weight and that's what it is. It's, 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 a, it's a weight that keeps you grounded. What I don't do is to focus any oracular uh, pursuit on the mundane. Mm. I mean, I think that the, the, there are questions that have no form and they manifest as intuitions and they are not being named. You don't know what they are. So science could be useful to somehow point you in that, uh, in some sort of direction or, or, but daily life takes care of itself. It works like clockwork. So I, I don't agonize over, um, yeah, over children, family, school, I don't know, housing, mm. work. I think those things will happen anyway. Mm. I mean, the ground is there. The problem is how, 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 how high can you fly? So the ground mm. is always there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think it's one of the things, it's always a good, interesting question for me, right? You know, and I am a person who points oracles at mundane things. Um, but not, not regularly, you know, like sometimes, um, and when necessary, but I tend to, you know, my daily practice, it, it used to, it, it had sort of drifted to this sort of general question, how do I show up fully today? Um, as my sort yeah. of question to the cards and at some point in the last six months or so, the question has just disappeared and it just becomes this sort of open time, you know, in a, in a way that I imagine like you with your, 
your pen and your your notebook and letters and images and cards and where is it going? What is it? Who knows? It, it is what it is. And at the end, maybe there's something, something concrete that you could point out or show about it, but often it's just much more ephemeral than all of that, you know? Yes. I mean, very often it's just about lengthening the day. And again, to me, that has to do with the idea of becoming one with time. It's not really about finding a solution or an answer. Because it's not even about asking a question. It's just about being present. And of course, I I, I like this idea of a, a symbolic world that uh, is there and it's not there. It's real and it's not real, right? It's mm -hmm. overimposed on the real world or daily life. And it becomes more dense or more subtle depending on when and where we are. And I like to be a witness to that world, but many times it's the very act of witnessing the, 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 the life of form, what provides some sort of um, benefit or a sense of being okay. Mm -hmm. It doesn't give you, and, and I will, maybe this is very abstract, so to, to, to put a, a very concrete example, I am completely convinced that the what really helps when we look at cars is not the images themselves, it's not the words we use to describe the images, it's not the answers we get, it's the experience of looking at them. Mm. It's the, the consistency in the pattern of the images. It's the pure sensuous experience of images that make us feel better. And somehow feeling better is not just a, um, I don't know, a, a sensation. It's that sense of uh, truth, you know, like it's like when you feed a bird and you, you understand that you know something and you don't have to even be able to express it, but you know it, there's pure yeah. knowledge in that. And, I think, and it's the same, I mean, yes. I, I It reminds me, so I, I recently just reacquired a bicycle after having my bicycle stolen near the start of the year, the joys of living in a large city, right? And speaking of yeah. things that can be uh, tremendously grounding, but not in a desirable way. Um, but this conversation and, and the idea of the influence of reading cards, it reminds me of, uh, you know, I live in Toronto, which is, you know, a city of tall buildings and and you know less open spaces and so on and one of the ways in which i really have noticed that at other times is if i'm cycling across town you know like maybe 20 30 minutes to a friend's place and when i leave the house if the moon catches my eye for example you go and it's like oh look at the beautiful full moon tonight and then you cycle along and then you cross university avenue and the buildings have this open pathway and suddenly there's the moon again and then you know a little bit later as you, you, know, you sort of get out sort of past bathurst where the buildings start to get shorter and you're like oh there's the moon again and reading having a reading is like that initial connection where you see the moon you go oh it, may, it makes you stop right time stops for yes. that moment look at it and you're like 
look at it, beautiful. And oh, look at the, the color of the sky. For me, it always trickles out into a bunch of things usually, right? Once I, once I notice a thing like that, you know, it's, it's at the very least a minute or two of me just sort of gazing upwards and, uh, and feeling the expansiveness of that experience. And then yeah. having a reading then sort of flows through into those other points through time where that process returns to us, whether through the images or the words or the idea or memory. And it echoes that, that trip across town of that reconnecting with, you know, what I would call with the moon sort of a sublime experience, um, but certainly the, the, the metaphysical or transformative experience of having a reading. Yes, well, because again, I, I, I think that the reading or the experience of the cards is just part of a continuum of signs that are somehow being insisted upon us. So yes, maybe the reading is that space where we frame our attention and say, oh, this is meaningful. But basically, the, the moon that you're looking at in the cards is the one that will reappear then, uh, you know, behind a mm -hmm. building. And the same thing that happens with, with uh, I don't know, the, the idea of, uh, you know, the tower, people breaking apart, and then you, you will see two people walking in different directions. So you will see a chain that, that somehow snaps mm -hmm. and you realize, oh, it's the same idea. The same idea is being insisted upon me. I mean, I don't think that there is any example that will top your example with the nest and then the, the, the pigeon at the branch. Mm -hmm. It's the mm -hmm. same idea. You're just you. You have a, a, um, a mindset and a series of concerns or, or a way of being in the world. Mm -hmm. And then reality is just giving you these things in a way to say, well, this is how things are. This is where you are. This is who you are. And um, I think the cars are a great training tool for that mm -hmm. um i mean these days i i'm thinking that the the oracle of the future will be a, a person who has a, a hole puncher in one hand and a stack of blank cards on the other so when the person comes with a question or you know big anxieties about something the person just punch a hole in the car and give it to them mm -hmm. and that's the oracle mm -hmm. and uh, you know, to me, there are two, I mean, in terms of oracles, the, to me, two things are very important. One is that initial definition of the oracle as an opaque statement, mm -hmm. which uh, by extension then names the person who gives or delivers those statements. And... The other one is uh, Heraclitus, the, the, the Greek uh, philosopher, when he wrote, the oracle neither reveals nor conceals, but gives signs, mm. which to me is the most useful model to understand what I do. Mm -hmm. So there is this idea of punching a hole in a blank card and giving it to the other person so they can see through. And, of course, the idea of true, which in French means whole to, and is the beginning of trouver, which is to find. And then the card, which uh, there is a French word, lem, which you can use for, in Spanish, it's very easy, it's lamina. In English, you don't have an exact word like that. But in any case, it's a word for card. So you can have the card, which is this lamb, and lamb is a... Um, 
is uh, sounds like lem, which is the soul. So the idea of punching a hole in the soul so you can see through is all implicit in the act of handing somebody something that basically allows them to focus their attention in a very narrow point. I love it. In my, in my, as you were speaking about it, I was picturing you in a, uh, you know, a fancy tent somewhere at an event. The people lined up outside, be like, just stack of cards in your hole puncher, and just be like, "Yeah, don't don't tell me anything." Or, or, Here you go, done. Exactly. Yeah, because at the end, of course, the the. Um, if we think of a, about an oracle as an opaque statement, well, the statement is the whole, and then the opaque is the actual card, right? Mm -hmm. Making a statement in the opaque is like a way of playing with that idea of the mm -hmm. opaque statement. But, I mean, currently, I'm very happy applying the same thoughts to just making bird sounds, you know? And, and mm -hmm. well, I think you... we talked about that last time. Mm -hmm. are, are you reading cards any more of these no. days or much? No, you, you put no, in? not at all. I, I have a, I have a very a daily engagement with the cards because I teach people how to look at them, mm -hmm. and I have kind of fine tuned my my practice. So we only look at the trumps of the Tarot de Marseille, which is the the card yeah. I'm interested in, and it really becomes a way to understand a poetic structure that if or when it takes a hold on you, then you can find in the world to the point that you no longer need the cards. Mm. But uh, the, the basis is that we look at cards and we talk about them. But, and then I have learned because of that work with people, we, we usually don't work with questions. We don't use questions in our practice. Mm -hmm. We just look at the cards and we describe what we see. Mm -hmm. And I realized that in time, that work has a, a, a benefit for those who engage with it, which is not only learning how to read the cards, it's that they feel better, mm. which again confirms my idea that exposing ourselves to, the, to, to this rhythm of the images is in itself um, a, a, a beneficial thing. Mm -hmm. So well, I yeah, don't I mean, read them, but when people... Yeah, please... Well, when I, when I created the Land of the Sacred Self Oracle, which is a sort of black and white surrealist oracle deck that I made. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, remember I you. created it with that intention, right? That's like I created it not with the goal that people would look at them and be like, oh, this is what it means. Oh, here's my affirmation for the day. You know, or here's the, the concrete or the opaque thing that I can arrive at. But instead, uh, as a uh as as a whole through a card into another world for people where they could have experiences and and engage with them and sort of and whenever i work with those with people the experience is the same the initial response is i have no idea what's going on in this and i'm like great that's perfect now let's look at it now let's talk about it now let's let's open up that yeah. space so we can go through it and at some point in that journey they tend to feel better and have a sense of direction or what have you. Um, and sometimes that is, is very communicable and sometimes it's not, you know? And I think that 
the the idea that we sort of can have need an answer that we can express concretely to other people or we failed is is not always true you know i mean i think there are times when it's true um or where that's what's required but i think as a sort of bigger picture practice opening up and engaging in that mystery is really what allows us allows us to let the oracle reveal itself to us which is always something yes. outside of being able to clearly articulate the scope of what it means. Yes, I, I mean, a sign should either deliver some sort of knowledge, which I will optimally call poetic knowledge. That means that it's maybe not even, again, possible to express it in words it's just uh, this understanding that you get about the way certain aspects of reality coincide or work mm -hmm. or the oracle or the sign i'm sorry will be a call to action and i'm not i don't mean that in practical terms i mean it in an emotional way mm -hmm. sometimes something touches you and you you feel that you're ready to do something or you're ready not to do it or you're you're somehow ready to take a stance and it's a purely emotional response to a sign you have been given mm. so most of that exists outside of rational analysis mm -hmm. and i feel even sometimes you know people say well you i saw you in a dream and you told me like for example you you taught me how to read the cards but I don't remember anything you said. Or you told me something and it was very important, but I don't remember the words. And I feel very happy because I think that the, the, whatever that was, it's not meant to be put into language. Mm -hmm. It's just there. It's, it's pure poetic knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, you know, at the end, I always feel the same thing. We're, we're trying to figure out how to live and, and that pretty much means we are trying to to protect our psyche from the daily grind you know mm -hmm. there is life throwing all this nonsense at us and we are trying just trying to to remain somehow um whole mm -hmm. and i think signs oracles they can do that mm -hmm. yeah i think the idea of the idea of definition of self is one that when it's rooted in language like when i was trying to come up with the the fantastic phrase to communicate the fullness of what i offer to people through divination you know that, that doesn't go anywhere i mean maybe it maybe it does for some people but i've never understood it it doesn't go anywhere for me and yeah but this sort of sense of the fullness of ourselves right and the sense of the fullness of, of sharing that with someone else or experiencing it with the birds or the moon or, you know, in whatever ways, those, those things can be enduring in ways and solve problems in ways that sort of definitions around language rarely seem to, or don't seem to, you know, and it reminds me. So however many years ago I started this podcast, I started the podcast because I had been thinking about my last year of working with clients 
and thinking about what I called my successes and not successes with those people. And the question that I had was, why do, why do some people change and why do other people stay the same? And, you know, and so like the first half dozen episodes of this are me asking various, uh, very seasoned card readers that question. And I think that hearing what you sort of just said actually to me feels like it is actually probably the clearest answer that people people need some emotional or internal shift to happen that isn't rooted in language or explanation and isn't yes. necessarily accessible through language or rationality or explanation. And until um, or if ever that thing happens where Enrique and I appear in your dream and you can't remember anything, but suddenly you wake up desiring to make a shift in your life um, until that, that unpredictable piece emerges we can seek that experience. We can foster it, but we can't guarantee that it happens. Neither as as diviners nor as people, right? Absolutely, and uh, and I I like to think. I mean, going back to this idea of the magician, I, I a friend wrote to me and, and asked me, "Are you a magician? I need magic." And I told her that I I, I do slow of hand, mm-hmm. so. I, I believe, or I'm interested in the idea of magic, which is not the, the imposition of a will, mm-hmm. but the, the absence of a will. So you you make yourself present. Your presence has an effect in reality, even if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. And then you wait. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of magic that happens that way but of course maybe we start maybe this is the beginning of magic trick and we we wouldn't know until tomorrow or the next year Mm. and i'm okay with it Mm -hmm. of course again going back to your initial comment there is no way to create a slogan to market that in a in a powerful way which i think speaks to the to the honesty of the premise Mm -hmm. but um yeah I mean, I think we are obviously rooted in language and and actually we we become subtle through language. I mean, language is this thing that happens in our body and, and as the air goes out and we reshape it with our mouths and tongue and teeth, it goes off. And as soon as it's out there, it acquires a metaphysical consistency. So there is something remarkable happening there. But it doesn't mean that it's everything, you know. And as as you were saying, it's not until we have an emotional response that we are ready to to change or to move or to um, basically experience other things. And perhaps um, the, the... a paradox that I find in the current world is that when we talk about emotions, we confuse that with sentimentality. So we have countless books and posters and memes and pictures that have this, you know, sugary tone because somehow they are going to appeal to your emotions. 
and to to appeal to our emotions we 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 don't need the you know the 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 pillow in the in muffling the shot of the gun mm. we just need the full blast mm. and there is that thing in the in the i don't know how to call it the spiritual the new age world that is all about muffling the sound making it comfortable, making it safe, which is the perfect recipe for nothing to change. Well, I mean, you know, we've been touching on the idea of the sublime and, you know, the sublime, especially in like sort of landscape painting and that sort of historical stuff where people were, were working on that notion, right? That, that it was rooted in this idea that something was so, so grand and inconceivably large compared to our personal smallness that it evoked a sense of awe or overwhelmedness and opened us up to a sense of our place in the universe. And there's a degree of at, at the least anxiety in that, maybe of something much stronger too, right? It doesn't need to be comfortable and it maybe yeah. sometimes can't even be comfortable, right? Yeah, I mean, again, if you're comfortable in your chair, you won't stand up. Yes. Somehow something has to happen. That chair has to get hot or, a, I don't know, a, a nail has to poke through. And then you, you spring out of it and, and do something. Mm-hmm. But also, I, I, I mean, I, when talking about the sublime, I, I, I guess that my, my main interest, which is the, this notion of the language of the birds, which has nothing again nothing to do with ornithology or, or science, but mm-hmm. it has to do with precisely with some sort of longing for a return to some sort of ideal state, mm-hmm. which is that we could use that word. It's the state of the sublime, right? I mean, the, the this idea of uh, the language of the birds as the original language or the secret language. Mm-hmm. So the idea of a return to the beginning and the idea that somehow that beginning is uh is some sort of paradise right which is uh it's, a, it's a, again a place of longing we we look at a bird and and it's almost consistently the the, the bird elicits the the longing for a promise that the bird is not making but that no. we really feel is there for us that we can achieve that return to that ideal state, um, state of freedom, state of weightless, state of beauty. Mm-hmm. And I think we are all somehow exiles from that place. And yes, we are all looking for a way back. You know? mm-hmm. So, you know, as always, I post on Facebook and ask if people have questions, right? And one of the questions that somebody asked was, um, how how do you really listen to the birds? How 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 does that happen? You know, and I'm wondering if you have have a suggestion for people, especially if if this is a newer concept for people. You know, what could yes. what people might do to begin this journey if they're inspired by this conversation? Well, I am happy to report that I I just finished teaching a class about the language of the birds mm-hmm. that uh, happened with me entirely talking like a bird uh-huh. every Monday I would send a lesson, which was a recording of me talking like a bird. 
and then people had to listen and to transcribe that. And they were, I mean, that took several different routes, right? And and something very fortunate that happened is that, you know, mimicking birds implies understanding how, understanding that we hear with our memory. The, 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 the ear uh, has a memory, you know. And that's how when you rub uh, wood against steel, you can hear a bird chirping. And uh, I mean, Gaston Bachelard, the, the, the French writer, has this beautiful idea that the birds learn to chirp by listening to a stream of water. Okay. And again, if you, if you, yeah, you can see it. If you hear the stream of water, you could, the bubbling could be chirping. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking about something that is so extraordinarily concrete and it's form, right? You're, I mean, I hear to the birds in terms of material. I mean, I, I hear to the birds and I, I'm all the time wondering, does that sound like rubber, like wood, like metal? How can I speak that language? But also, one of the effects that this class had in some people was precisely that then they were walking around and they will hear the breaks of a bus mm -hmm. and hear a bird recognize the same. It's again, memory, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think what I'm trying to say maybe is that we need to listen to the concrete mm. to the to the actual form of the sound mm -hmm. and then and to the, to me this has been even more important we need to listen to the void inside the voice of the bird to the negative space to the silence and and this is key when you are actually trying to to mimic a bird because yes you have the chirp and somehow you can make that. But then the rhythm only happens if you listen to how many times the bird stops. Mm -hmm. And that space could very well be the same space that you are walking on when you're, you know, between the nest and the pigeon. Mm -hmm. So it's always about situating yourself in that space. Yeah. Um, I think that sometimes... I, I mean, the, um, Charles Bernstein, this American poet, has a fantastic essay on homophonic translation, and he actually he talks about birdsong, or he talks about um, this idea that poets have always wanted to talk like birds. So the idea of taking bird sounds and translating them into human um, words, mm -hmm. you know, something that, for example, a, another American poet Robert Grenier did in the past. He has all these sentences for the birds, which are human sentences, but they are they can be kind of retraced back into the sounds of the birds around his um, his home in Vermont. Mm -hmm. So you can also do that. You can also try to find in the voice of the bird the the um, that which is familiar, right? which is a way of saying you can try to find in the voice of the bird that which is you. 
and and then you're surprised by the things you you find. Mm-hmm. But then I had uh, other people who work in this um, class with me did something brilliant, and they used the the, the bird songs as dream words. Mm. This is based on a on a 14th century Arabic idea of a name is widespread in the in the Sufi world or Muslim world. The idea that certain words, if you repeat them as you're falling asleep, they kind of improve the chances that you will have beautiful dreams. So, a couple of people working with me did this of playing the recordings of my birth voices as they were falling asleep and then they registered their dreams and the results were absolutely spectacular going back to that sense of something that exists or is transmitted in a purely poetic way the world mm-hmm. is beautiful images and 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 so perhaps with this i'm trying to say there is a way of listening that is conscious mm-hmm. you could listen to see this sounds like this, this sounds like that. There is a rhythm, there is pattern. I'm pretty sure that people will be able, like uh, Olivier Messiaen, this uh, French composer, to write down like the notation for the song of a bird. Mm-hmm. But there is another way of listening that maybe is more um, unconscious, you know. Mm-hmm. The listening when you're not listening. Yeah, it strikes me and that then, there's that there's a... Um, you, you, hear the, you hear the song... Right, you become aware of the song, and at some point in the transition to noticing the space in the song or in art or whatever, there's almost like a, like an inversion that starts to happen, you know, where where we get pulled inside of something else, right? Yeah, that hole in the card all of a sudden, right? The card being the song, and we're looking at it, we're seeing the pattern and the things, and then at some point we notice that there's an opening. And if we're if we're in the receptive mindset to that, not sitting with expectation and anticipation, we can we can you know fall through that like Alice through the you know through the the rabbit hole and so on and end up in another world, and where yes. our experiences are are different, you know, are poetic, but also um, inspire a sense of connection to ourselves and so on. Yes, I mean, it's like walking by the sea, you know, you, you walk by the sea and, and the sea now and then it brings something to the shore mm-hmm. and you pick it up and you say, ah, oh, this is fantastic or this is horrible to throw it back. But you can't command the sea to drop on your lap what you want. Yes. You have to figure out how to use what the sea is just put in there. Sure. So you I find you that can't command the pigeon to, to drop a branch in your hands, right? Yes, if you're there, you're paying attention, then you, that, that, I mean, that's a miracle, you know, I, mm-hmm. and, um, but also that, that, that's something else that happened this weekend. I, I, I was about to have lunch with my son and I, I heard this crow and I looked up and I realized I, what I saw was a bald eagle. Okay. Which was, you know, and it was gigantic. And then, I, I kept hearing this grow and it was so strange. So I moved around the tree and I saw that this grow that now looked like a fly next to the eagle was trying to chase the eagle out of the mm-hmm. of the tree, which is what they do is their job basically. Yeah. 
But uh, so, and then, of course, there was a moment when my wife, you know, wives always do the same things. So you're, something is happening. Two people are having an argument, an eagle and a crow, and a, and a crow. And then your wife will say, go do something. Talk to the guy. So I went and I talked to the crow. And uh, I managed to make him stop for a while. Uh-huh. But but the the um, and then we went in to have lunch. But this is the thing. This was the um, dining hall in this college my son goes to. Yeah. And as soon as I entered, and I my son was inside, and as soon as I told him there is a bald eagle outside, every single kid in that dining hall dropped everything and ran out. Mm. I never expected that reaction mm-hmm. there was no no social media involved there mm-hmm. was just the absolute i mean the excitement was again like a, a, a it was I, I by saying there is a bald eagle outside it was like i i i press an emotional button that was completely irrational they 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 didn't even hesitate or, or figure out they just dropped the, the trays with the foot and ran out yeah and and i felt again that it, yeah they are, they understand that's a miracle. Mm-hmm. I mean, that thing out there, which is basically an, an object that fell off the symbolic world mm-hmm. and for a moment is there on a tree. It's a miracle. And that's a choice. And I think that signs are always based on choice. We choose to activate or deactivate a sign, we, we, we choose to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. This is a sign. You could have passed by that nest with the three eggs and ignore that completely or kick it. Even. Yeah. But you decided, you choose to pay attention to it in just mm-hmm. a way that, in, in, that that prepare you to be then aware of the pigeon with the branch. Yeah. And, and, and in the same I mean, way as choosing to go and walk by the ocean, if we persist in that practice, then the ocean will give us signs. Yes, because we're there. Everything gives you absolutely, and and, and be present is is the is the yeah. presence yeah. is meaning, and and that what you the word you just use is a practice, and and of course again in time you will feel that the sun, the the sea is giving you things all the time, and it's mm-hmm. not necessarily true. Maybe there were a few weeks in between or months, sure. but you are in your practice. So yeah, that practice makes reality speak to you. In a, in a in a seemingly constant way, yeah. I'm reminded of um, Jason Miller wrote a piece about. Uh, I'll try and include a link in the show notes. I think the title was something like, "Your your practice doesn't care if you feel like it," you know. And the the sort of gist of it was around devotional work that it doesn't matter if you're in the mood or not. If you've made a commitment, you should show up and do the thing anyway yes. and whether a thing comes from it or not whether you feel better because of it or not that there is that in many ways the power of devotion and and sort of offerings and and you know in, in the context of deity work is in your consistency and your persistence over time and i think that in the same way you know i i had a lovely bike ride back from from meeting some meeting my girlfriend for coffee today and i didn't have any miraculous occurrences you know it was a nice bike ride but the moon wasn't out it was kind of whatever 
but that attention is always there so that when those things do wash up on the shore, I can pick them up. Right. You know, and I think yes. that, and I think that that sort of endeavoring to be open to that at a, at a basic level consistently is what also produces it. Right. Yes. And, and I mean, we have to be open and again, we have to accept the dignity of whatever that is. It may not be what we want, or it may not be something. Actually, I think the whole point is for it to be surprising. Yes. For it to be something we're not expecting. Otherwise, I mean, if it's only a, like a confirmation of bias, then what's the point? Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I mean, that, you know, I, I think a lot about cascarilla, you know, this thing, the. the, the sure. Do you know? Yes, eggshell. I mean, I I love this idea of kind of grounding eggshells to a powder that you can use to draw things with. And somehow with those drawings, you you call on something. Mm. And I think that I I like to think that, I mean, a friend of mine say that I, I, I draw a magic circle around this cafe I go every day. That's my magic circle. Uh And I like the idea that routine is like this cascarilla. Routine is like grounding this eggshell to a powder. You do it over and over and over and over. And basically, yes, it comes to a point in which your routine drew a magic circle around you. And then these things are happening there. Because basically you are there. Yeah, as, as, as you say, they happen because you show up. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm sure that there are wonderful things happening when nobody's watching. For sure. And when we don't show up. Yeah. But uh, when, when you went inside that, the, uh, the, the bald eagle and the crow said, Phew, I'm glad they left. We can put, we can put this aside for a minute. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So... And that's also beautiful to think that, I mean, to think of all the, 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 the signs that are taking place in our absence mm-hmm. is also something that fills me with uh, joy. Yeah. No, I love it. All the things are not for me. Well, maybe that's a great place to wrap it up for this conversation. Go practice. Yes. Go grind it down. Go make it sacred, magical, or poetic, or whatever you prefer. And, uh, and listen, yeah. and you'll see what shows up. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I do, I don't know why I, I, I prefer poetic because per, perhaps it makes it more, uh, concrete, mm-hmm. but at the end, it's all the same thing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Thanks for, thanks for recording another one of these, my friend. No, thank you. It's, it's always so good to see you. Yeah. You Come too. to New York. It's on my agenda for sure. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening. Another episode in the bag. Seems like 107 struck me as a particularly large number for some reason this time. Uh, Patreon bonus is available and up for those who are already pledging. Uh, For anybody who wants to become a supporter, you get access to the current one and the growing library of previous ones, uh, as well as anybody who supports the Patreon at whatever level also gets 24 hours early access to the podcast and all the material. And there will be that group I mentioned coming in April. So spread the word, sign up, help this 
lovely little podcast that I've been working on, Flourish. It's deeply appreciated. I'll talk to you soon.